morning, church. How's everybody this morning? I'm probably going to pay for this later, but um, have you guys noticed anything different about Pastor Jackie this morning? There's no wedding today. There's no funeral today. And he's wearing a tie. I think he, guys, I think he's raising the bar for us. And uh, so we're going to have to try and join him. But uh, you're looking pretty sharp, young man. And I can say young man because I'm quite a bit older than you. So anyway, uh, if you want to open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 5, we'll, our scriptures for today will be 1 through 15. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of, of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and he knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the, into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up and take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them and said, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man that said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. <coughs> now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, and nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you, Lord. As, uh, we just thank you that we can come here today to hear your word, Father. Lord, we just want to be a blessing to you. We want to be obedient to you, Father. Lord, we just pray that our hearts and our minds are open to what you'd have us today. We pray that you would just anoint Jackie's teaching, that uh, what, he, what he says is your words and not his, your thoughts and not his, your love and not his, Father. So, Lord, we just praise you, we give you all the glory, and we just invite you here today as we dedicate this day and every day to you. And we just pray us on Jesus. Amen. So this morning, we are reminded of the question that Jesus asked this guy, which is, do you want to be made well? And this is something that we want to be consistently asking ourselves. We often come to the Word of God and think the Word of God is for somebody else. It's talking to someone else, but it's not. It's talking to you. It's talking to me. And the characters in the story, they're you and I. So if, if you sit there and you think, oh, I know who needs to be made well. I hope they're listening. You need to pick up your mirror right now and look in it because the one God wants to 
heal is you. Now, when we look at the Gospel of John, remember the Gospel of John is built around seven signs, seven discourses, seven I am statements, all focused on what point? It's all focused on proving that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and leading you and I to have faith in him, in his name, and be saved. That's why John's written. John's non-synoptic. John doesn't tell us a series of events in order like, a, like a, you would a biography. John says, I want to tell you certain things, and I want you to see Jesus is everything that you need. He is what you want to have. We remember the first sign was Jesus turning the water into wine. And one of the points we brought out about that first sign is this idea that you and I, we satisfy ourselves with cheap wine when Jesus has the good stuff. You'll satisfy yourself with whatever cheap thing that will get you by, that shiny thing that will last, however long it lasts, eventually fades. But what Jesus has is better, right? Isn't that what we saw in that story? You saved the best for last. Nobody ever does that. This is the best wine we've ever had. See, Jesus, he is those things that we need. Then we saw his first discourse, Nick at night. Remember Nicodemus at night coming to Jesus? A life of traditionalism, a life of doing all the things the way you're supposed to do it, the way everybody says you're supposed to do it. He comes before Jesus and Jesus says, yeah, Nick, none of that stuff you've done is going to work. You must be born again. All the do's you did didn't get it done. You need to be born again. Then we go from Nick at night to the second discourse. The second discourse, Levi covering for me told us the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. It's interesting because Jesus says, I have to go to Samaria, and nobody ever wanted to go to Samaria. He finds a woman that nobody would have cared about, lower tier of society in those days, culturally. So he comes to a woman who is Samaritan. So there's strike two. And a sexual sinner, strike three. Nobody's ever going to talk to her. In fact, people in Samaria didn't even talk to her. <clears throat> Jesus meets her at the well. And he looks into her face and he says, I am the Messiah. So the most plain proclamation, <coughs> excuse me, that you're going to get of Jesus and his uh, proclaiming himself to be Messiah is in that story. To Nick, the high guy, right? The guy who did it all right, religiously elite, top echelon of society. He tells them, everything you've done is not enough. You have to be born again. When he meets the woman at the well, he introduces her to living water, right? You need water. And then he describes the reality that he is the living water. She says, well, we know that when Messiah comes, he'll tell us everything. You remember what she said when she left there? She went to tell the people, come see someone who told me everything I've ever done. She said, we know when Messiah comes, he's going to do this. You remember what Jesus said next? I 
am he. I don't know how, you don't get no plainer. No plainer, he's talking to the least of these and he proclaims himself as her Messiah. To the greatest of these, he lets them know their acts, their deeds are not going to get it done. You have to come to God by faith in Christ and be born again. Then we see the second sign. The second sign is a nobleman's son. Remember the nobleman is the son, his son's dying, he comes to Jesus. Jesus doesn't touch him, Jesus doesn't spit on the ground and make clay, Jesus doesn't go visit him, sit on his bedside and say to him, Talitha kumi, he does none of those things, what does he say? Go. Because only God can speak those things into existence as though they have already existed. He didn't need to touch, spit, sit down and make a proclamation. All he had to do is what God did in Genesis 1-1. Let there be light and light was. All he had to do is say, your son's well. And what happened? His son was well. Now we come this morning to the third sign. And I have this echo in my mind. I, I bet this statement that Jesus says to this man echoes in my mind more than any other statement, and that is, do you want to be made well? Are you aware that people, some people want to stay in their ignorance? Do you know that some people are willing to trade what is true for what they are certain about? Do you realize that some people don't want to be healed? And that echoes, especially in these days we find ourselves in, in the circumstances going on around us and all the things that are happening in our world and people clamoring for answers. And all I can hear the Spirit echoing in my spirit is, do you want to be made well? Scripture lays out for us this place Jesus finds himself. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews. So we're probably talking about the next feast in line after Passover. We've come now to, to probably Pentecost. doesn't really matter, but it's a time when all Jewish men would go back to Jerusalem. There was a feast of the Jews. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, there's a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. It was a big hot water spring. Big hot water spring that people used back then just like we use them now. Right? If you're out camping and you're over uh, Couch Summit, you're going to go find the hot springs and you're going to sit in them. And you're going to say when you get in them, oh, that feels good, huh? Same way, they did the same stuff that we do. Some guy would build colonnades around it and then he would charge entrance, right? And he would call the place Miracle. Why would he, cause it? Why would he call it Miracle? Because if you go in there, what? It's a miracle. Feels great. You feel so good. And it was no different in their day. Five porch colonnades, they build around this hot spring that was the pool of Bethesda, just outside the Sheep Gate. So it's interesting because as you walk in, the Sheep Gate is where they kept all the 
animals they would sell for sacrifice or that they had prepared for sacrifice. So it was not a gate often used by people. What do you know about a place where you keep a lot of livestock? Yeah, it smells like livestock, right? And so, yeah, not a, not a lot of people like that. So you go down here to Bethesda, and Bethesda becomes a place for, the Bible's going to tell us, the invalid. That word in the Greek's an interesting word. What it means is weak, those who can't help themselves. Now, if you want to be honest about it, we are all that. And our illness is sin, and you can't help yourself. You can't cure yourself. Doesn't matter how many times you take a bath, how many times you wash in the hot water, it's not changing. You find yourself still in that place, weak. This pool, this pool, it says in verse 3, in, these, in this pool uh, lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, remember I said, do you want to be made well? I'm going to give you your first test. So we come into this section of Scripture. One of the things that we're going to notice is there are, there's, if you have anything besides New King James or King James, it's going to go from three to five. Verse numbers. Verse numbers aren't the Bible, by the way. They're just uh, no, notations for us to follow our way. Verse, verse four is not there. Now, some people will tell you that's because there's a conspiracy. And the conspiracy is to strip the word of God of its power. And these people will trade the truth for certainty. Do you understand what that means? Look, data is truth. Now, how you interpret that, that that'll be up to us to argue about right? But data is real. Here's what it says in New King James. In these lay a great multitude of sick, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. That's what it says in the King James and the New King James. But in all the modern translations, it says something different. And this causes people no end of angst. So please listen. Don't have angst. You don't need it. All you need is the truth. Don't be afraid of the truth. It's not going to hurt you. Listen, here is the truth. We have a tradition we have a traditional scripture called the King James Version. I still can only quote some verses in the King James because that's the best way it sounds. I'm old. These and thou's were okay. I can handle them. I remember when New King James came out and it took all of these and thou's for you and them. And I thought, man, this is cool. And I went to Bible college and Bible college, they told me, you know, <clears throat> this is the best translation. And I actually believe that. And then I ran into the truth. Do you want the truth? Or do you want your tradition? 
It's the same thing Jesus said to Nick at night. In a way, it's the same thing Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well. Do you want to stay in your sin? Do you want to stay in your ignorance? Do you want to stay in your comfortable place? Or do you want the truth? Look, the truth is not all that complicated. Here's the truth. I'll give it to you quick. We're going to talk about this again in chapter 8. So be prepared. Here's the fact. The biblical text from the time that the apostles wrote it grew over 1,400 years by 2%. Please listen. The text did what? Grew. By how much? 2% over how many years? 1,400 years. Now, I'm going to give you an example and, and try at the same time to defeat a crazy meme on Facebook that makes me want to lose my ever-loving mind. <laughs> Mark chapter 6 through 8 is telling stories, a variety of stories about Jesus. Mark was not an educated man. Mark liked to just say he. So it starts in chapter 6 with Jesus and for two chapters, Mark wrote, he, 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 he. And eventually, over 1,400 years, the guys who came to Mark chapter 6 through 8 got to all those he's, and they said, you know, we need to put Jesus in here every once in a while so people know who he's talking about. That is a change in the text. Now, sometimes Jesus wasn't enough. So they would put Jesus, our Lord. Did it change anything? Is it a malevolent conspiracy that we should be freaked out about? That somebody changed the word he to Jesus, our Lord? But maybe you've seen the meme that will compare the verses. Well, in the King James, it calls Jesus the Lord, and over here it just says he. So we take the truth, flip it on its ear, and we say, oh, King James must be, must be uh, there's a conspiracy to strip. But what you don't understand is the, the, the um, what's, what's the right word for that? The, 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 there's a word, pious. The pious language came later. What Mark wrote was he. Now, let me tell you why I know that. The King James Bible, New King James, Texas Receptus, is based on Erasmus's work in the Greek New Testament, the Greek New Testament that Erasmus built. It's called the Texas Receptus, received text. All of these things come through that. It was based on seven Greek manuscripts that all came after the 11th century. Listen, because God never leaves his people without the word. So they had seven manuscripts that were from the 11th century. That means they were later manuscripts after people started adding things like, the reason these guys were at the water was because an angel, the 
rumor was an angel would stir the water. The belief was an angel would stir the water and people would be healed. And if you were sick and you had any chance at all for that to be true, you're, you're, you'd be there too. I know guys who absolutely do not believe in healing who will go to a healing crusade just in the hopes that they're wrong. Right? And hope that the guy will pray for me and I'll be healed. My uncle who died of AIDS went to a number of healing crusades to be prayed for, to be healed. Because there's maybe the slim hope. So what occurred here in the text that we're looking at in John Earlier than the 11th century, look, you know the 11th century is 1,100 years after Jesus, right? Now, what if I told you we have more than 100 manuscripts today that are within 100 years or closer? Which one you think is closer to what they really wrote? 1,100 years later or 100? Now, we didn't have all, we didn't know all this when the King James, and this is not a King James own, uh, King James bash. I love a King James. I'm just saying there's going to be a few times where we look at it and we're going to have these wonderful traditions. And every time I come to those sections where, we, where I have to talk about variants in Scripture and we talk about the variants, I want you to understand God did not leave them without a witness. He didn't leave us without a witness. But I hear the Spirit whispering in my ears, do you want to be made well? Or do you just want to hold on to your tradition? Well, this is always traditional. This is, this is how it's supposed to be. And some people do that. And then they want you to believe that a Bible created on text that didn't exist for 1,100 years, that wasn't written till the 1,500s, is the only correct Bible. And I have a hard time getting around the truth to buy into that certainty. The truth is, now, today, rather than seven manuscripts, we have 5,280. And I want to use them all because I want to know what was said, what he did. I'm going to give you the... The, the solution to the problem in hopefully a way that you understand. What we have in regard to textual variants in the Bible, when your Bible has a footnote that says, this is not in the oldest manuscript, anybody ever seen that before? When your Bible says, this is not in the oldest manuscript, what that means is the earliest manuscripts don't contain or don't say it that way. No doctrine has ever changed. Nobody ever said, well, you know what? There's a textual variant that says Jesus wasn't God. There's none of that. There's variants like what I'm talking about. He for Jesus, our Lord. Or um, one verse in Luke. It's in Gospel of Luke. I'll tell you about it next time we talk about this. In the Gospel of Luke, it says, and they left praising the Lord. And one text says, and they left blessing the Lord. And you know what the King James did? They said, oh, I don't know which one it is. So they left blessing and praising the Lord. Now listen, did that change anything? Did anything change? Did, is there one that said they left cursing the Lord? No. We get the idea of what occurred, right? Have you lost the reality of what happens? Do, is, is the, now we, we look at that and we say, I can't trust the things that I have today. 
Look, what occurred was a, a guy who was copying the gospel of John said, well, John never told us why all the sick people went there. So he added it. He added that there was at least a legend that the angels stirred water. Maybe there really was an angel. I don't know. I wasn't there. Right? But he added it for clarification. Does it have value? Sure it does. Do you have to be afraid of King James, New King James? No. I, when I study, I use five different translations. And I always have one of the five is always King James and New King James. Because I want all the information. And then I won't be afraid of the truth. Do you understand what, what I'm trying to say? So this is a minor variant in the scripture, but an opportunity to teach. An opportunity to say, what's going on here? <clears throat> scripture tells us that this guy is sitting there. Just like you and I, we're sitting here. Jesus is going to come to him. It says in verse 6, it says, Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? I try to live my life and teach the word of God based on this ideal. I want you to know. Well, you don't got to believe what I believe or think like I think. And you're welcome to come discuss it with me anytime. But the question resounds, do you want to be healed? The Bible says Jesus saw him and was filled with compassion. Hebrews tells us, right, that Jesus Christ is our high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect had been tempted like we are yet without sin. In fact, Hebrews 5 tells us that when God brought up the priesthood, he brought it up for this purpose, so that the priest would know his own weakness and have compassion on the people because of his weakness. Now, here's what happens. People come up, they stand up on a stage, and they begin to teach, and people begin to come up and tell them how wonderful they are in, in other places, not here. And then they, they, they start to believe all this press. And the next thing you know, what we've done instead of having the high priest in a position that he recognizes his weakness and has compassion on the people, you have a priest that raises himself up and begins to look down on the people. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be healed? This was God's intent. Jesus models it for us. Do we want to be made well? Look what verse 7 says. The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm trying to go down, another steps down before me. What is he saying? I have no one to help me. I have no one to help me. Here's why that's important. You have no one to help you. Nobody can fix what is ailing you. It doesn't matter who you marry. It doesn't matter what job you have. That's not going to fix you. That doesn't fix me. My brokenness can only be fixed by Jesus Christ. He's the answer to my brokenness. Now, we can pretend that we're not broke. We can pretend 
that we are exalted or above those other peons around us, maybe like Nick did when he came to Jesus at night. Maybe like the Samaritan woman wanted to do, probably when Jesus was confronting her with her sin. You think she liked it? Or we can recognize, like this guy by the pool, there's nobody who can help me. By my own efforts, I can't make myself well. Isn't that what he's saying? I can't get down there. I can't get in the pool. I can't get in the water. Now, did he really need to get to the water? No. Was the water going to heal him? I don't think so. But like I said, I believe he, he thought it would help him. And so for 38 years, can you imagine dealing with something for 38 years? Some of us are. Some of us are struggling with illnesses that have lasted 38 years. My youngest son will be autistic until Jesus comes back. When we first got the diagnosis when he was three years old, a lot of well-meaning people brought me all the cures known to mankind that will cure autism. Different diets. And I'm not saying they haven't worked. For some people, it did. Different diets, different weird I, I call them witch doctor treatments, weird things, you know. But hey, we tried them all. And probably about the fifth or sixth time, Kathy was looping around the, the, the whole thing about what, how are we going to help Joe? How are we going to cure him? How are we going to stop this? I sat her down and I said, your son's autistic. The only cure for Joe is Jesus. When he sees Jesus, he won't have to struggle with autism anymore. Amen. He has been autistic his whole life, and as long as he lives, he will continue to be so. Unless God, I'm not telling God he can do whatever he wants. He wants to heal him tomorrow. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Go for it. Jesus is the cure. This guy thinks if I can get in the water, that's going to cure me. But the cure is standing in front of him, right? The answer to everything he needs is right there in front of him. Will he hear it? Will he see it? He says, I have no one to help me. So we come to the next thing that Jesus did. Look at verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. So he's an invalid. The word invalid means he has no strength. Weak. He is a weak man. What does the Bible tell us? What did Paul say in his weakness? Paul said he struggled with an infirmity. You remember? He called it a thorn in his flesh. And he said, I prayed three times that the Lord would remove this thorn in my flesh. But the Lord said what? My strength is made perfect. How? In your weakness. So Jesus looks at this guy who has no strength and says, get up. That's all he tells him. Get up. Matthew 8, 17 tells us about Messiah. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness. He took our 
weakness. He took what separates us. He bore our disease. This is what Messiah did. He takes my brokenness upon himself, and what does he give me? He gives me wholeness. He who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God. It's not something I did. It's something he did. That's why it's called being born again, being regenerated by the power of the Spirit by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that nobody can boast. Jesus does it. How many of you know that God's commandments are God's enablements? When God speaks, you can do it. If God tells you, get up, you will be able to get up. If God tells you, God has told me to go into the mission field, praise the Lord. How do I know if God's really told you that? You go to the mission field, right? God's commandments are his enablements, the things that God lays out for us, the things that he commands, we are able to do. What about if you're dead? What if you're dead? Can you still do what God commands? Well, you guys know about Lazarus. He's coming up in John. Lazarus was dead in a grave, buried, wrapped up like a mummy. Was not much he could do, right? When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, what happened? God's commandments, his enablements. If he's commanded you, the word of God is full of commands that God gives us, yes? Do those commands enable us? He said, get up, this guy. Here's the words. Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Oh, we're going to have trouble. Do you want to be made well? Because our tradition says that you're not allowed to do that. You can't do that. You can't. What are you doing? You're not allowed that. You can't be like that. Oh, you're not. That's, this is bad. This is bad. This is a problem for the traditions that they had. No. That day was the Sabbath. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. Listen. It says, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten herself. And Jesus saw her. He called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed of your disability. He laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and said to the people, Listen, there are six days when you can work. Come be healed on one of those days. Do you want to be made well? Stuck in tradition. Don't come be healed on the Sabbath day. No work. Can't do no work. And so we have an argument. Verse 10, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, what are you doing? It's a Sabbath day. 
It's not lawful for you to walk around carrying your bed. Now, don't get the picture. He had a king-size bed on his back. You guys ever been to the beach? I know. We're in Idaho. It's a long way from a beach. If you ever been to the beach, they have this stuff on the side of the beach called the sand. People go out there and lay a towel down, and then they'll lay on their towel. I've seen some people do something close to that at the river, but not quite the same thing. And so, just like that, when they're done, they go over to their towel, roll up their towel. So this guy rolled up his towel. Remember, he was at the hot springs. And he's walking, and the guy's like, what What are you doing? You're carrying a burden. You're carrying, it's not lawful for you to do this. a violation of the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it. Holy, Nehemiah 13, verse 15, <clears throat> says, In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing in heaps of grain, loading them on donkeys, and, wine, uh, and also wines, grapes, figs, and all kind of loads. They brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. And I warned them on the day that they sold food, Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to people of Judah and Jerusalem itself. I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act like this? And did not God bring all this disaster on us in the city? And now you're bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So you get the idea. People were... Working, carrying, buying, selling, doing things on the Sabbath day. Jeremiah wrote about it, Jeremiah 17. Thus says the Lord, take care for the sake of your lives and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I have commanded your fathers. So, the Lord had laid out this deal, right? God said, do no work. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Don't bear burdens. So God has in mind the things that he spoke, and then man takes that and develops a list of what that means. The data is God said what he said. The interpretation of the data was a rather convoluted and, and complicated group of, of rules that people had to follow in order to keep it. One was God's word, one was man's. Those aren't the same thing. In Luke chapter 13, I just shared that section about the woman being healed by Jesus on the Sabbath day. It says in verse 15, he goes on, he says, the Lord answered and said to them, you hypocrites, do not each one of you on the Sabbath day untie his ox or donkey and lead it to water. Because most of the time, your animals still need water every day. Yeah? You still do those things. Should not a woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed on the Sabbath day? Does God want you to have mercy on the Sabbath day? Or is mercy work? All these things he said, his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced over what Jesus had done. Matthew 9, 13, Jesus said, go learn, and what this, go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not 
sacrifice. I want mercy. God says, I want mercy. I want mercy. But men elevating themselves, sitting above the people, looked down on the people and said, you're not allowed mercy. Why are you carrying your bed? Why are you carrying your bed? Because a man had mercy on me, and he told me to pick it up. Jesus Christ healed me. Now what he said? He doesn't know who Jesus is yet, right? It says, <clears throat> the scripture goes on to tell us, right, that, that they said, who told you to take up your bed? And he answered, the man who healed me. The man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is this man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now, the man who healed him didn't know. Now, you can imagine how that happened. 38 years, you're an invalid, can't get in the water. One guy speaks a couple words to you, tells you to get up, and all of a sudden, you're able to get up. Maybe you spun around in a circle and jumped up and down, and were just hooting and hollering, Woo! Oh, man, this is awesome. And then you look around, and because the next thing you're looking for is the guy, right? But he's gone. So he does what the guy said. I'm going to pick up my towel. I'm out of here, dude. I'm going home. And somebody hollers at you because you're not following the rules at church. You can't run here. There's no towels, no flip-flops, no shorts. <laughs> there's, there's all the traditions that get in the way of expressing to the people who need to know that Jesus Christ is everything they need. There's all these things that want to get in the way of that. Jesus Christ, just so we know, the Bible declares Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. That means Jesus is the one who can describe for us what can be done on the Sabbath and what can't. You guys remember scripture where Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, when he says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit murder. What's he quoting? The law. Now, the law is part of the word of God. And Jesus Christ is God, the word. So who gets to tell you what God means by thou shalt not murder, but the word of God? He gets to tell you, right? But I say to you, if you've hated your brother without cause, you've committed murder in your heart. Jesus is able to speak to the truth of what was intended. When he says on the Sabbath day, God wants mercy, not sacrifice. What's God want? Mercy, not sacrifice. Book of Hebrews is going to tell us that Jesus Christ has become our Sabbath. He is our rest. Where do you find rest from your labor? The point of the Sabbath day was for, so that you would recognize I need to have rest from my labor. My labor can't save me. I can't be saved by the things I do. I got to find rest. I got to find rest. I got to find rest. The people in the Old Testament, they never entered into the rest. They never entered into that place. But then Jesus Christ came and the writer of Hebrews said, now we can enter into our Sabbath rest. Because our Sabbath rest is a person. His name is Jesus. You want rest? What did Jesus say? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you more stuff to do. 
I will give you rest. Why? Because he is my Sabaoth. He is my Sabbath. He is the, the God of the angel armies. He is everything I need. You feel all strung out? I promise you, you need Jesus. You need him. Now, you can have union with Christ and be saved and not have communion with Christ. Do you understand that? You can have union with Christ, faith and trust in Jesus, where he is my Sabbath rest. But if you want to experience it, you got to have communion with Christ. Communion. It's not just lips. This is not Harry Potter. We do not live in Harry Potter, ladies and gentlemen, where you say magic words and magic things happen. We live in a world of reality. And in the world of reality, you come to salvation through faith and you experience the promise of God in communion with him. And you and I know whether or not we're in communion with God. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Sometimes people tell me, I don't have the abundant life. Well, the abundant life is found in communion with God, not union. Communion with him. Mary learned it. Remember what Mary used to do? Jesus would come into a room. Where would Mary go? Sit at Jesus' feet. She would have communion with God. Now, you can go to the beach and camping and all those places, and God's still there. God didn't go someplace else. Did he? You can have communion with God anywhere you want to have communion with God, but you have to want to have communion with God. So this guy, Jesus is gone. He doesn't have anybody to thank. But we'll wrap it up. Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. Now, there's, Scripture doesn't tell us how long afterwards. Doesn't have to be 20 minutes, an hour, could be a week, could be a month, could be a long time. Jesus finds this guy in the temple and he looks at him. See, you are well. What does Jesus say to him? This is going to be important for us when we get to John chapter 8. What does Jesus say to him? Sin no more. Jesus is telling this man, whatever thing he had, whatever his 38 years of uh, suffering was about, it ultimately went back to sin. So Jesus removed the consequences, right? The consequences of his sin was his suffering. Jesus removed his suffering and he told him, sin no more or what will happen? You may find yourself in a worse place. Jesus told a story about a person who had a demon they cast out the demon. The demon left, but nobody replaced the demon. He didn't have union with God or communion with Christ, so it was just an empty room. Scripture says that demon left, and then he got to looking and said, look, that dude's still empty. So he grabbed seven of his friends, and they all moved in. So the man's condition was worse. It was worse then, right, than it was before. Jesus says to this guy, Sin no more. Sin pays wages. And the wages of sin is how often? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. 
Sin pays wages, but Jesus Christ is the cure. So Jesus says, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And so the man said, cool, I'm not going to sin no more. What do you do? When you read what he does, what do you think? When it says he ran and told the Jews, oh, it's Jesus who did it, who healed me. How does that read to you? It reads to me like a sellout, but I'm a pessimist. Maybe that's why. When I get, when I get home, Kathy's watching. So when I get home, I'm going to ask you, Kat, because you're an optimist. If it doesn't read like a sellout. The guy who healed me, I'm, gonna, I'm going and telling the authorities on him. Isn't that how it sounds? I'm going to go tell the authorities on him. Because listen, please understand and know as we look at this third sign that your healing, the miracle, does not save you. God can take away every problem in your life. God can heal you of all that you're suffering with. God can do all of that and you still spend eternity in hell because your healing is not salvation are you with me jesus healed a lot of people but i i don't know that's the end of the story right we don't see this guy again we, we get to heaven, maybe we'll see him and he can tell us how the rest of the story goes together. We don't know the rest of the story, but at least in this part of the story, it sounds like, hey, this guy is a sellout. I got my healing. These guys are all mad. I don't want to be mad at me because I was carrying my towel. So I want him to go yell at Jesus. And Jesus is okay with that. He's going to have lots of discussions about the Sabbath with the Pharisees, right? It just makes me wonder... I go back to Nick. Remember Nick? Doesn't matter all the things you've done, Nick. It doesn't matter all the, the, the traditions you've kept. It doesn't matter how you've always gone to temple, how you've always given your sacrifices. None of those things matter, Nick. You must be born again. When Jesus looked at the Samaritan woman who went in back into Samaria and said, come and see the men who told me he's the Messiah. Come and see, come and see. And all the people come. Jesus points to them and he looks at the disciples and he says, pray for workers to go into the field for the fields are white with harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest, send workers to the field to bring in the harvest, bring in the sheaves. Look, the workers for that harvest wasn't Jesus. The workers of that harvest was the disciples. The workers of that harvest, you and me. And we got a world of people sitting around a pool, building posters, creating memes, standing on corners, breaking windows, screaming, shouting, carrying on. And we can all, we all have a hundred different, I guarantee we got all kind of different opinions in this room about all of it. But I can tell you this, they all need Jesus Christ. And people are more interested in being a keyboard warrior and sending some other meme or nasty phrase back and forth to somebody than they are willing to tell them 
about Jesus. What I love about Andrew, the disciples, every time we meet him, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Come and see. What did the Samaritan woman do? Come and see. This guy could have told the Pharisees, come and see. But that's not what he did. The Bible's full of examples, good and bad, for us to follow. And these things John has written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and believing we might have a life in his name. He is everything we need. He's your healing if you need a healing. He's the encouragement. He's your peace. He's your strength. Everything you need is found in union with God and communion with Christ. And everything our world needs is the same. We used to take a lot of heat. Brother of ours, Bill Battery, used to go down to Planned Parenthood. If you guys ever drove down there on abortion days, you saw him. Bill is in heaven now. He died. And there's some young guys that are a part of Eastside Baptist. They're, they're trying to carry the same thing. But you know, sometimes people would drive by and give encouragement. But sometimes the biggest heat you ever took was from a believer who was just mad you weren't doing it different than that. And we would ask them, well, come show us. If it's, if it's wrong to try to talk to this young girl who's, who's walking in and convince her that this isn't what she wants to do. If that's wrong, you come show me how to do it right. You know how many people ever came? Nobody. The field is white. People need Jesus. We need boldness. I'm not telling you to go there. I'm not telling you to go anywhere. I'm just telling you this world needs Christ. They are dying on the street, burning down buildings, killing one another because they need Christ. And in all the chaos, all the church wants to do is yell. Stop yelling. Show them Christ. Go be Andrew. Go grab somebody's hand. Say, let me introduce you to Jesus. You need Jesus. You have the answer to the problems in our world today. I have the answer to the problems in our world today. Do not keep it to yourself. Jesus came to, he told a story, he went to three people. And he said, I'm going to give you five talents and I'm going to give you two talents and I'm going to give you one talent. Two out of three he had something good to say about, right? Because they took what God gave them and they did something with it. Yes? Only guy he had something bad to say about was the dude who did what? Nothing. Don't bury it. Take your light out. Put it on a hill. Lift Jesus up. And he said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Amen?
Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, Lord. We pray, God, that you be glorified and magnified in this place. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that we don't have to be afraid of, of the truth, Lord, that you are giving us your word. And we know today, even better than times in the past, that we have a, an accurate record of the things that you have said and what you've delivered to us. No reason to be afraid. No, you, no reason to be scared. You have not left your people without a witness. God, I love the fact that no matter where the children of Israel went, God, when they were in exile, they're in Babylon, you gave them Ezekiel. They had the word of God. Ezekiel was there speaking the word of God to the people. But what about the people who wouldn't obey God and they're fighting against the enemies of God? Well, you didn't, left the, you didn't leave those people without a word of God. They had Jeremiah. You don't leave people without the word. Jeremiah and Ezekiel weren't exactly the same. But they both had your truth. And they draw men to repentance and faith. So God, may we be drawn by repentance and faith and the truth of your word. May we hear the words, God, of your word asking us, do you want to be well? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to have rest? Do you want to have peace? Do you want to have the things you don't have? Then you have to find them in Christ. Union with God occurs when by faith I come to Christ, bowing my knee, repenting of my sin and asking him to save me. Scripture declares that he will wash me white as snow. He removes my sin and grants me by baptism in the one spirit, unity, a union with God the Father, established by the Son. But to experience the power of God in my life, I must have communion with Christ. I must draw near to him. I must follow him. I must obey him. And as I do, I will experience through communion with Christ those things that I desire. God, I pray that we might have each of those things in this place. And being with you and empowered by you, may we, as we prayed earlier, be filled with boldness to take the truth into a world that needs you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.